You're listening to the Fearless Kitchen Podcast. And now it's time to join your host, Vanessa Baxter. Good morning, guys. Welcome to the Fearless Kitchen brought to you by worldpodcast.com. Okay. Hey, Teague. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good. Thank you for meeting me in the morning in your restaurant. It's an absolute pleasure. What a freezing cold morning it is. It is a freezing cold, but not in here. No. It's lovely in here. Do you normally come in this early to work? Uh, I'm or normally really? around the city by, by, by 10 a.m. Yeah. So where it's in one of the restaurants or in the office, but I'm normally around by 10. And you've got three restaurants now in yep. Melbourne. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so tell us about them. So we're sitting in Ezard. Ezard's been established for 17, 17th year. Uh, two hats ever since it's opened. It's currently um, yeah, running quite quite well. Very pleased. Very pleased with its longevity. Um, the other restaurant's Ginger Boy in its 10th year, uh, going quite well. Uh, very different speed to what Ezard is. It's more that sort of Asian street hawker style of food, which we call a modern interpretation, I guess, of Southeast Asia. Yep. Uh, and that's got a ground floor restaurant, uh, level one bar, oh, cool. and also function sort of space. And very soon we'll be opening up a, uh, a third level, which will be a sort of more of a corporate boardroom. Wow. And there is the other one in Leventine Hill, which is, sorry, Ezard at Leventine Hill, which is in the Arrow Valley, which is a, a, a restaurant um, as part of a vineyard and a cellar door. Uh, and what the, what the sort of offer is up there is specialising in all-day dining, which is more of a casual approach. To the great outdoors as well, and a mm. great deck seating up to 60 people and an indoor restaurant seating 50, which is degustation only. And is that similar to Ezard here? It is, it is. The degustation restaurant's very, very much suited or similar to, to Ezard, mm. Ezard Melbourne. So. The, the, th- the hats that you got at Ezard yeah. so quickly, which mm. is so amazing, um, and congratulations, because mm. that's an extraordinary achievement to keep those hats. Is that pressure, though? Do you feel like... That yeah, is look, it is. It's, look, it certainly is pressure. Uh, it's pressure on everybody to sort of perform to that uh, to that level. I think um, you know what we do here is uh, consistent. Obviously, we we've got a standard uh, and a formula, and over the years we've been managing to keep that consistent. But at the same time, you know, we we're sort of well, we just finished a renovation of the restaurant, which you can see, which is so uh, you know changing the the, the fixtures and fittings and. Uh, what, and the menu is sort of always evolving and always changing. So, yeah, it's certainly uh, a challenge for us to always keep ahead, keep up, you know, up in touch with the other restaurants that are always opening around us. So it certainly is a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing that... At, I mean, you're obviously very young when you got your first um, accolade yep. in, in the form of the hats. Yep. So that must have just been exciting at that point. But then I can imagine that each year you get them, it's kind of like, oh, well, that's great but mm. it's the challenge for the continuation of that because if you suddenly lost them you'd feel pretty sad yeah of course I mean obviously you know there's a there's a criteria to, to keep and there's a um, a certain 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 standard that you need to upkeep to, to manage uh, you know two hats one hat three hats whatever it is mm. so I mean for us you know we, we just want to keep um, where we are and just keep well well and truly um, consistent yeah um, you know without being too um, and I think the food philosophy really is we're, we're very sort of unfussy. We're, we're not, but when, obviously we use a lot of technicality with the food. But when it comes to dining, we just like a simple, uncomplicated dining experience. 
that showcases the best of Australian produce. Yeah, and I think that's really important in Australia because people don't like that fussy kind of French way or the very traditional French way of of dining with, I mean, you've got linen on your tables, but it's not, you know, five knives, five forks and and having to be in a very stuffy setting to be able to eat such beautiful food. It's more relaxed and Australian. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, so I mean, the whole thing really about this restaurant is pitching to be Australian. Yeah, uh, it's a contemporary Australian sort of style of uh, service and food that we that we're really really aiming for. So how how do you, as an executive chef, you've got your three restaurants? How do you continue to learn and keep up with the latest trends and feel inspired yourself when you're trying to run? so many operations and business like do you get away are you able to be inspired from what's happening overseas or yeah there's a, there's a little bit of travel but I think really um, working and collaborating with, with with the team is the most important and getting inspiration out of all of us and it really is a team effort um, and what what I do is I meet the chefs on a regular basis we have meetings on in theory we go through um, practice testing and the whole sort of dish evolution really is from talking, walking. You know, sometimes it's over lunch. Sometimes it's um, in, the, in the veggie garden at, at, at Ezard in the Yarra Valley. Um, sometimes it might be in front of a computer. It, it just so, so really it's, it's a collaboration keeping yourself, you know, sort of in tune with what's happening out in the world and in also too with the, 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 um, the passion of your team. Yeah, and as so, you're obviously when you opened Ezard, you were the head chef yep. of Ezard. But then, as you've built and grown um, the other restaurants as well around it, you've obviously had to um, be able to pass on some of the responsibility to a younger group. Is that hard as a as the original person that opened it in your name? Is it kind of hard to go, oh my gosh, now I've got to let a little bit go and let these younger guys come in and Yeah, it's 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 hard but it's equally rewarding. And I'll say it's yeah. equally rewarding because, you know, when when you uh, get to a level of uh, you know trust and they succeed, um, you know, and they and they meet the mark, they meet the margins and, and they're hitting the, 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 the standards, it's kind of like, well, you know, I've actually done a pretty good job there myself too in, yeah. in helping it happen. So, uh, you know, that sort of, I guess, mentoring is, is plays an important part and part of that mentoring is to is to listen, to trust and to, you know, sort of w- work alongside. So. Mm. Did you have good mentors for yourself as you were a young chef coming through or did I, you have yeah. a bit of a mixture? No, I did, I did. You I did? did? I did, yeah. I had some great mentors. So uh, I was very, very lucky and very fortunate to work with some really good chefs that... Um, you know, wanted to wanted to help train, but uh, you know, kitchens were very very different then to what they are now. I think now it's more about um, ensuring that the the discipline is sort of kept. Um, you know, it's sort of keeping that sort of standard professional approach with the kitchen. So it's um, you know, it's it's obviously managing creativity and managing um, you know, sort of all that testosterone and the heat and the fire and all what goes on in the kitchen is is still the most sort of challenging thing. Yeah, because in the old days it was very hierarchical. Yeah. I assume it's still hierarchical, but but more collaborative? Correct. It's yeah. a lot more collaborative. Yeah. So, That's you know, everybody's still all part. There's no sort of one honcho, you know. Um, what we try and do is work as a team. Yeah. That's cool. When you were young, before you were 17, because all the articles I've read about you sort of started with, oh, your whole world started when you were 17. <laughs> but before you were 17... Yep. Um, when you were at school, was was it 
chefing and food that you were passionate about or did you not know or like how did you end up? Look, I didn't know. Uh, I started my apprenticeship at the local pub in the suburb I was living in, in Bayside, Melbourne and kind of it, it found me or I found it. I don't know how it worked. But um, I just fell into an, an apprenticeship. I was offered an apprenticeship and I just loved it. Um, it was something I just loved from the word go. So when you, that was when you left school? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. And, but like, so some kids leave school and go, I'm going to go off to uni and some yep. kids leave school and go, I'm going to go and do a trade. Yeah, well, for me, it was a little bit different. I was actually, uh, I was expelled from school. and I, You were expelled. I'm getting I, the story. That's what I was trying to get to. And I, 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 I couldn't go to any other school in the state. They wouldn't accept me. Are so. you serious? Yeah, I'm dead set serious. <laughs> so how old were you at that point? You were like just finishing uh, your, your second was, last year or something? I think I was 15. Oh, you were 15. Mm. Oh, Teague. Oh, the rebellious teenage boy. I know about those. I've got two teenage boys. (laughs) It's quite frightening as a parent, by the way. Okay. So so you didn't finish school? No. No. Okay. So you didn't finish school, but you didn't know what you wanted to do? Or you did – How? like, what made you get – take an apprenticeship in a pub? Like, what made you think that that was going to be okay for you? Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing was my – my mother was a great home cook and my father was – they separated. My father was into restaurants and and wine. Ah, okay. So, I already had a a kind of a touchy-feely association with food and wine. And I guess uh, when the practical side raised its head and the the apprenticeship was offered, um, to me it was something I wanted to jump at and uh, I I just loved it. So, it's – I guess it was a little bit of influence from my parents mm. as well um, and, uh, and and having a, a great opportunity to start. So, did your mum always cook at home? Like, did she just feed you good, great home-cooked food? Yeah, she was yeah. a great cook. Yeah. yeah. Did you cook at all? No. No? No. Mum just cooked yummy food? Pretty much. Well, that gives me hope because mm. I cook yummy food at home good. and I try to get my kids to cook, but they're kind of like, oh, mum, you cook well, so we'll just eat your yummy food. So it gives me hope that they may at least be interested in cooking properly later. <laughs> well, if you if they get the example early enough, I'm sure they'll carry it through. So you know, Yeah, I hope so, Teague. I hope so. Oh, that, So that is a really interesting story because mm. I am always interested in the articles about you because they do always start with, his journey started at 17. I'm like, what happened before 17? It's a little while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, Ginger Boys. Yep. So obviously very different to this yep. restaurant. It is. So what inspired you to decide to go the whole Asian hawker inspired? Yeah, uh, well, we opened up a restaurant in Hong Kong in 2003, 2004. Actually, I opened up two restaurants in Hong Kong. Um, one was called Opia, which is a fine dining restaurant, um, more sort of Vezard-esque, if you like. Mm-hmm. And downstairs on the ground floor... There was a spare space and we wanted to open up a street sort of restaurant that was more, let's say, um, down market than upstairs. So the, the idea was was to open up a, uh, a street level, cheaper version and I started to you know, sort of fly around ch- um, Thailand, KL, Singapore. I was based in Hong Kong for about four months and I started to cook street food. So... Then I, what, I, what I did was I, I, as I was doing all of that, I was writing a whole lot of recipes. And that formed the cookbook called Lotus, which is another cookbook which I wrote okay. whilst I was travelling. Yep. And that formed all the recipes for, for, um, for I guess, the basis of, of Ginger Boy Melbourne. And I remember sitting in, uh, in um, the cafe, what was called Wise, and sitting down there looking at a Hong Kong taxi and I thought, eating a green chicken curry, and I thought, this would be a great idea to take to Melbourne. So we did. That's, that's how Ginger Boy wow. started. 
Mm. What year were... Wow, when were you in Hong Kong? What year was that? Uh, I was in there 03 to 05. Okay. And what made you decide to open a restaurant in Hong Kong? Did you just have a backer that wanted you to... Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, yeah, what it a great good. opportunity. It was good. Because yeah. it's brought along Ginger Boys. So you don't have the restaurants in Hong Kong anymore, obviously. No, They're, no. Gone. They're gone. Okay, so I haven't had the privilege of eating at Ginger Boys yet, but right. I might have to try to get there over the weekend. Yeah, you'll have to. Um, yeah, because I lived in Asia for 16 years. So, oh, right. yeah, totally love. We lived in uh, Singapore, Vietnam and Indonesia. So I totally love those flavours yeah. myself, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's really, it's really Aussie, actually, isn't mm. it? If mm. you walk around Melbourne, I realise... A lot of the restaurants are Asian-inspired, but it's a very Australian thing because we're so close to Asia. Look, that's right. I mean, it's, it's become more and more an explosion of Asian, Asian-themed restaurants, whether they... And I guess, um, you know, I mean, we are. We, we're always at the, at the bottom end of Asia. I mean, we are Asia, so this yep. makes complete sense. And it's interesting over the decades how everything was French and Italian, you know, sort of in those, sort of um, around those 80s, 70s and 80s. Now it's... So multicultural in Melbourne. It's completely, completely expanded. Yeah. And the um, staff that you have in the kitchen at Ginger Boys, mm. are they Asian or a bit of a mixture of both or...? Yeah, there's a bit of a mixture. We've got some Thai... We've got a couple of Thai guys, a Korean guy, uh, and we have just... It's, it's all very, very blended. Yeah. And those Asian guys that are in there being chefs, have they been trained um, in their own cuisine or have they been trained in the more um, traditional French chef style through school and then being yeah. able to use that technique in your restaurant, which is actually their own food. Cause it's yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Look, some of the guys have um, their mothers. There's one, in, uh, there's one Vietnamese guy and his mother's a, a great Vietnamese cook. So he's, he brings his translation, I guess, of what, he, what he's learnt from his mother and his home into the commercial kitchen, which is quite interesting. Uh, some of the other guys have just worked in more sort of high-end Asian fusion restaurants, Melbourne and Sydney. So those guys, yeah, they've had a lot of Asian experience, which, which helps uh, for things, technical things, you know, making dumplings, working in the wok, execution of you know, sort of flavours, hot, sweet, sour and salty. So it's good to have those guys working in the kitchen because it's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the experience that we need. Yeah, because it's completely different, isn't it? But what, is, what I noticed when I lived in Asia a lot was that those, you know, the Asian guys coming through hospitality or, or through culinary school were of course being taught classic French cuisine and thinking that that was what they should do and that's, that was what was needed um, and then the world has changed in the last decade of course we've all embraced their cuisines as being amazing and, and not just in Australia, we've, that's been a lot longer than that but elsewhere globally suddenly the Asian cuisine is like wow this is really desired and people want to try it and people want the explosion of flavour um, it must be kind of bizarre for those countries who have spent years building their culinary and hospitality schools on classic European style to suddenly realise that people want chefs with you know the Asian background and the Asian experience. Yeah, look, it's very true, but also too, you know, like uh, in uh, in LA at the moment, what's what's happening is the big sort of you know Mexican Mexican wave of food that's coming through, and and I guess you know similar to to Mexico in the US is they've got that full flavour of you know peppers, chili, um, textures, um, you know, crunchy salads. So it's certainly you know whether that that sort of um, depending if you're in the northern or southern hemisphere, that sort of northern or southern cuisine. Um, in the West is, is really well suited. Yeah, it's really interesting. Do you 
what can you explain for the people who are listening? Because for even for me, you've got Ezard and you've got your ginger boy, and you're talking about the, you know, the textures and the flavors of the Asian, which I understand well, the sweet and the salty and the sour and the um, spicy. What's the difference back here at Ezard in your like more traditional cuisine? What are you after in your flavors there? Like you're not looking. Are you looking at the same distinction or? Are you very very similar. Uh, very very similar. The whole. Flavour profiles are extra, uh, very similar to Ezard. Um, everything that we produce needs to have an element of uh, a flavour profile. Uh, that's kind of like the first and very f- foremost thing, as equally as important as its season, as the season you're in. <clears throat> so the, the emphasis really is, is on getting the flavour balance right, um, having contrasting textures, um, skill, you know, um, technical side of the dish, but also seasonal and... Apart from that, you know, it's just putting on the plate and, and testing it off we go. So we <clears throat> there's a kind of like a, 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 a statement in the kitchen and that is that it's the Ezard-esque statement and that statement really is, well, let's keep inside the sort of boundaries of what we're trying to deliver in that, in that sort of way of the consistency I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. But we can still surprise our diners and we can still sort of have that element of surprise at the same time so it's just about keeping you know keeping it, it flavoursome um, and exciting because uh, the degustation menu that we offer here mm-hmm. really is our aim is to make it a flavour journey and for each dish to be a, a wow factor and not to have highs and lows so it's yep. important to keep that that right up to the top you know sort of level nine to ten mm. and do you close on any days here we, we close here on sundays and do you, is that when you experiment or do you actually have a day off? No, we experiment guys- during sort of, um, you know, sort of low times. It might be yeah. a Monday or a Tuesday. Because that must be hard. You're running a restaurant and you're trying to keep a standard for all the diners, but somewhere in there you also need to be able to develop a new menu. Yeah, that's right. So you incorporate your, your, your kind of like your, your low times, your quiet times with, with dish development. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so it's never ending, really. No, it's, it's, it's a big circle. Yeah. So I've read the latest review of you, which was fantastic, of course, because um, you've got your two hats again, which is amazing. Um, and it did mention in the last sentence, you know, that you're probably one of the most expensive restaurants in Melbourne, um, but highly justified. Yep. So I think one of her comments was that, you know, you do keep the standard, but you are constantly um, pushing the boundaries as well and, yep. and coming up with new stuff. And I guess that's where the money has to, you know, you have to have that price on the food to be able to keep offering the standard you're offering. Would that be right? Is that? Yeah, that's right. I mean, everything that we use is, um, you know, premium. Uh, our supplies are premium. Our produce is, is, is premium. So it's just, you know, always uh, keeping it to that to that level. And obviously prices reflect that. It's, yeah. In, in the case of anything, I think you, you do. You consume any product, so mm. yes, it is. Uh, it is quoted as expensive, but also too, you know, it's we we aim to deliver. Yeah, and you'll have diners in here who are coming in here because they appreciate food. Mm. So that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, right. I, I that's where I my money goes is on food, and other people don't understand that. They'd probably prefer to go and buy something that they can physically see. You know, in several weeks, I'm happy to to know that I'm consuming it, and yep. you know, that's that your restaurant will be full of people like that. So that's kind of a nice clientele, isn't it? It is, and it's all about the experience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah totally, it is. Yeah, I mean, I love it because for me, life is experience, and and 
experiences with other people as well. So that's what I'm going to take with me. I'm not going to be worried about, you know, having lots of possessions around me and everyone's different, I guess. But yeah, for me, it's always been about traveling and eating wherever I go and just sort of immersing myself. Mm. Yeah. So are you, have you got family? Your yeah, own got, family? Yeah, got a family. Got uh, a wife and two kids at home. Oh, so okay. How old are your kids? Ten and eight. Oh, do they love coming in and? Yeah, they they do. They're um they're great little foodies. F- little foodies. They um it's truffle season at the moment, so they're getting their uh, their belly full of truffles at home. Oh, yum! Do they cook? Do they help you out and yeah, my, like uh, to get in the kitchen? Yeah, they do. Partic- That's awesome. Particularly my daughter, who's ten, she loves to um loves to cook. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Cool. Are you hoping they're going to finish school? <laughs> oh, I, very much so. Isn't it funny I, when you become a parent and you look back at your own and think, oh, yeah, I'm going to steer you guys differently, hopefully. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I it's did. It's not easy, is it? No. Not an easy road. No. But are your parents still around? Uh, my father's around. My mother is not. Your mother's not. Sorry yeah. to hear that. Your yeah. dad, is he proud of you? Is he amazed uh, at what you've achieved? Or Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, he kind of sits on the outer uh, these days. But, yep. um, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he seems to be proud. Yeah, yeah. he should be. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. And um, your wife, is she a food lover? She's a, f- a great food lover. Yeah, yeah. she's got to be. She'll be yeah. married to you. You can't marry a chef and not be a food lover. Correct. <laughs> it won't work, will it? No, no, no she's, she's a food lover. <laughs> get to see them though Teague you've uh, got to be super busy yeah no I'm pretty busy but uh you know there's there's I mean you make time yeah you just have to make the time you just you just just make the time uh so it's uh, I mean the weekends are, are good yep generally take weekends uh there's a lot to do on weekends obviously with a young family so that's generally the time when we catch up yep and are you into sport are you a Melbourneian by heart on the sports side of things? Uh, or? AFL. AFL, yeah. Yep. Okay, I just yep. took my teenage boys last weekend to their first AFL match. So, okay. yeah, Geelong versus Hawthorne, it was a pretty good match. That would have been a good match. It was a very yep. good match. So, Two great teams. Yeah, they sat there a bit stunned by yep. it all, 70,000 people for a just a simple, you know, Saturday match. So, mm. yeah, but I remember that from growing up. Did you actually grow up in Melbourne? Yeah, I did. I, I grew up uh, Bayside, Melbourne, along the, uh, the sort of uh, the beaches. Yep. So it was a great, a great way to grow up yep. and, um, yeah, good fun suburbs to, to live in. So where did your name come from? It's just not yeah. an Aussie name. No, it's Gaelic. It's actually Irish. It's Irish. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wondered about that. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and what about your kids? Have you continued that Irish tradition with mm, their names? No, or? no. No, they're Aussie kids? They're Australian. They're Australian. Kingston and Siena. Oh, Sienna. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So I actually had a little girl, but she passed on. And so then we had two boys and, and we had Sienna in there in case we had a girl again. Right. Um, and Sienna was the name because that's my favourite city in Italy yeah, it's, ever. It is. We were there last year. It's a fantastic city. Oh, were you there? Mm. Oh, wow. Have you seen the um, paleo? In, uh, the Palio, sorry, yes, the yes. Palio in Siena. Have you yes, seen it? Yeah, I've seen that. You've seen it, yeah, same. Yeah. I've seen that a couple of times. Yeah. Isn't it just the most amazing thing ever? Amazing. We went to a restaurant that was in the in the fit. The restaurant was BC, so it was made BC, and you went down, down, down to the restaurant, and the restaurant was under the ground because what they did was they, when they were building the city, they threw rubble and dirt and everything else on on other tombs and what have you. So you'd walk down to this BC restaurant and you could see a tomb where there was scratches on the ceiling. It was uh, quite, quite an amazing... It was that in Siena? In Siena, yeah. Is that fairly... That's got to be fairly new. I've never come across that restaurant. I've been there four times. <laughs> 
Amazing. <laughs> You've got me ready to go back now. No. Yeah. No, I just think that place is absolutely <clears throat> amazing. It's not the most foodie city of Italy, but no. there's something incredible about it that's just, um, yeah, captures your heart and yep. that whole palio and those the yep. crazy blessing of the horses and the songs they sing all night long mm. if they're horses of one. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your favourite country to visit, do you think? Oh, definitely France. France? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And what do you love about France so much? Uh, well, charming thrilling through France is um, it is greener, it's cleaner, it's it's more developed in Europe and um, it's, it's, it's boutique, it's beautiful, it's got high standards, it's got great food, mm. um, magnificent people. Um, obviously, recently, it's uh, probably they're going through a very challenging time, but uh, I just love the cuisine in France. Just love it all. Okay. It's just um, one of those places I, I love. And when you travel, Teague, especially if you're travelling with your family, mm. do you try to do a mixture of sort of high-end to, to sort of, I mean, street food isn't really the word for France, but you know what I mean. Like yep. just your very sort of everyday kind of places as well as, as the high-end kind of chef-type places? Yeah, particularly in Asia, particularly in the Asian yeah. sort of cities such as, you know, Bangkok and Singapore, as you know. Uh, you can be eating, you know, sort of 15 floors in the sky in, in central Hong Kong or whatever. And, and At exquisite places, yeah. And then, then you're eating, you know, crab under the bridge. So... Yep. Um, it's important to, to when you're travelling, is to get those two experiences, I feel, because mm. I think, you know, you need to connect the dots, particularly when you're a, a chef. You need to be able to establish, um, you know, I guess, you know, what the international influences are in cuisine and also what the local cuisine is like. Yeah. It's, it's important to have that. Yeah, I think so. Knowledge. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, in fact, it reminded me of a story. We stopped um, once. I stopped with a mate in France and we just didn't know where we were because it was already dark and it was just like, oh, we'll just find a B&B here. And we went into a bar and asked us for the house wine and we realised we were in Puyi. And so we were drinking Puyi for my Blanc and they brought out all these gorgeous French cheeses and we had no idea where we were until the morning when we woke up and we realised what town we were in and we just had drunk the most divine wine and eaten the most divine cheeses. Wow. And just went... That was one of those crazy moments mm-hmm. where we could have ended up with some gross croque monsieur at some gross little place and instead yep. had the exact opposite experience. Yep. And yep. it's little moments like that that you always remember. The rest of the trip, I can't remember much about it, but yep. I'll never forget that night. Mm. It's fun, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah it is. that's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, and, the, and the great thing about travelling and having those experiences, you can never have it in your own country. No, you can't because you're, it's home and you've mm. got to work and you've yep. just got to get on with it. So have you got any plans to travel coming up? Uh, no, I was um, not this year, um, but we're travelling. We're travelling next year. Um, there's, there's a fair bit on Europe and the US. Oh yeah, cool. So yep. And have you done South America? Have you had a chance to go there? South America, no, not yet. No, no. on the on the cards. Oh, uh, could be, would be, yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing cuisine, I think. Mm. That's somewhere I'd love to go before, yeah, before it gets too late. So, look, Teague, thank you so much for chatting. It was so Pleasure. lovely to meet you. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure that your story for listeners is inspiring because there's so many people that listen who are actually young chefs Mm. um, and a lot of students listen as well. Um, And they're, you know, just starting out and wondering what their opportunities are. So it's nice to be able to hear people's stories and see what they're doing and and kind of how they they got to where they are and and what the influences were so that they can feel, you know, that they they can also... Maybe get to that point for themselves, but through travel and just 
staying on top of things and maybe finding the right mentor to work with to start with, which sounds like it's probably the best approach for a mm. young chef. So Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thank, thank you, you, Vanessa. Thank you. Oh, good. Ooh, the Fearless ooh, Kitchen Podcast. Ooh, ooh, ooh.